Good evening, welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Tuesday, the 25th of May, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. And on tonight's program, we're going to be continuing on from the topic that we were dealing with last week. We were looking at the keys of the kingdom, and I think we stopped actually at a really good place because that whole topic of once you get to Acts 15 um, is a topic in and of itself, and it would have not really done it justice had I rushed through it the last time, so I'm glad I stopped it where I stopped it. Um, as we have been doing for some time, we have been going through on the program Psalms at the beginning of the program, because I know a few people really enjoy it. Uh, we started doing it, well, I started doing it during the the lockdown period, was it like, what was that? April of last year, man. Time time has flown. Time has flown. Um, few changes technically. I don't want to go, be going through it every single time. The main place for broadcasting the program will be from now on sermon audio. Um, that will be where it's going to be from now on. Um, the the multicast it goes through sermon audio and it goes out to YouTube. That seemed to go well last week, um, and <laughs> there's still a problem. I don't know what I'm doing wrong with the Facebook. Uh, you can do Facebook too, something I'm not doing, some button I haven't turned on. I don't know. I'm not, probably, that's enough. Probably Sermon Audio and YouTube is probably enough um, to be dealing with. And also, I have in front of me the chat, in case anybody is in the chat, um, welcome anybody who is in the chat and, um, that's going to be the way from now on. So if you are listening to this through the podcast and you would like to listen to it live, um, you don't have to, it's up to yourself. Um, I like doing this program live because, uh, if you get used to doing it live and then you go back to podcast, it's just, it's not quite the same. So, um, it's nice to have a little bit of interaction. There's... As long as you're 8.30 UK time, um, you're going to have to just Google whatever time that is in your time zone. But in the UK, uh, 8.30 p.m. Tuesday nights, just be at um, be on my YouTube channel and the link will pop up, I suppose, at some stage. I don't really have the time. I used to do a lot of setting up before and pre-set up everything and it eats up a lot of time. I'm not going to be doing that from now on. But if you're on YouTube and you would like to ask questions during the program or whatever else, um, feel free to do that. And But the podcasting and all that kind of stuff will go on as before. Now, we're going to start off the program tonight with reading through Psalm 33. And um, yeah, I've, I, it's been something that has been encouragement to me, and hopefully it's been encouragement to you. I know some people have told me that it's been encouragement to them, because on this program before, and I do plan on covering stories like I have before, but probably I've really enjoyed in some ways taking the six months, if you want to call it off, I was, I was going to finish off my college um, for training for the ministry, but the, I think the, the six, seven months has kind of given me perspective in just um, the importance of framing everything with, with the word of God and not getting our solutions, we, we can get news from different sources. It's hard, of course it is, but that we need to be constantly looking for biblical solutions to the problems that are in the world, biblical solutions. And we may listen to other podcasts and we may listen to other things, but we've also got to be aware that person may be conservative and maybe agree with us on gender things or whatever, but our solution as Christians is always going to be different. It's always going to be calling the person to repentance and seeing that they're image bearers and seeing their fallen nature and calling them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else then beyond that pales in comparison of importance. But um, so Psalm 33, if you have your Bible in front of you, we're just going to read through it there. Um, we'll just spend the first few minutes of the program just reading through it and make a few comments on it. I'm not going to go through the whole psalm, but especially I want to go through verses 6 to 9 as it kind of gives a little mini commentary on creation. So Psalm 33, 
And before we do so, we'll, we'll pray to Almighty God. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the means of communication that we have through the internet, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, this provision that you give us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless all listening, either to this program live or to the podcast later on, and we pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to focus on where our trust needs to be. And may we never worry in all these things, and may we trust you more and more. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 33, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with all instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the name, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his indwelling. His dwelling he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. May the Lord bless his holy and infallible words. We we'll just, for a few minutes, briefly look at verses 6 to 9. There's very, lots of stuff we could comment. It's mainly focusing on the sovereignty of God and the wonderful things he has done. But there's a wonderful, how would we put it? Um, there's a wonderful commentary here on creation. It begins in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And that we, where we see his power. He spoke it and it came forth. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And everything he created was good by the word of the Lord. That's how powerful the word of the Lord is. When you think about when, that, when it's preached, when we sing it in, 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 in the congregation of God's people, when we sing the Psalms, we're singing the word of Christ. We're, we're letting it dwell in our hearts. It's powerful. The word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters. So, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. We think, put your hand in front of your mouth right now. And you, you, you see that if we were like, if we attempted to go up to a house, shall we say, and we blew it. Well, it wouldn't do very much to the house. The house would be still standing and you'd look pretty silly. Our breath is pretty weak and pathetic, but the breath of God, his spirit 
his, I, I haven't looked at the Hebrew, but I, I believe it's Ruach here, um, probably, is powerful. All the hosts of them, it's all made by the breath of his mouth. It just comes forth. It shows the power of his word. He gathers the waters of the seas together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses and it just shows how does he, he commands it and it happens. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And because of that, because he speaks and this comes forth, because of the, he breathes for power, majesty, the whole creation came forth because he commanded it to happen. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We should be, when we are every single Sabbath before the Lord to praise him with God's people, to be in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And that's what we've got to trust in. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what news that we're constantly hearing, and I, to be honest, I've kept not really check too much because there's a lot of fear mongering um, from the media at the moment. And there's a lot of, we, we just, it, it's no conspiracy most of the time, but there might be a few legitimate ones here and there. I'm not saying that, but most of the time it's just cowardly people making cowardly decisions just to stay in power. And, and when people are cowardly, they make foolish decisions. So hopefully that was a blessing to you. Remind yourself daily and if you're not a Christian, you have much to fear. Fear God. Don't fear all these things that are happening in the world because you know what? These powerful people in the world, they're not in control nearly as much as they, they, they think that they are. Okay, so now we're going to go through Acts 15. I don't want to start this topic too late because there's a lot to cover. So Acts 15, we're going to be dealing with um, church government and the keys of the kingdom, and I especially want to go through the keys of the kingdom, mainly because, okay, this, this, was, my, this was my project for college. <laughs> I do this every year. Um, whenever I finish college, the first one or two programs back, um, you guys get to hear what I basically spent a lot of the year researching through. Uh, last year was justification, and uh, off the top of my camera, but I did two years ago. But anyway, it's... Um, Whatever I've been doing in these topics uh, ends up in a program, and hopefully it's been a blessing to you. Also, some of the some of the topics, uh, you know, on, on um, missionary work and things like that, have uh, turned up in the program. So, it's been a tremendous tremendous blessing to me to study it, and hopefully it's been a tremendous blessing to you uh, to learn about it. So, um, welcome everyone in the chat who is there in the chat. Um, again. I am probably sometimes looking back and forth and there, I don't know if sermon audio, it would be nice if sermon audio did some kind of a chat room. It would be nice. Um, I like sermon audio a lot, so, um, I know it's hard. It's not, it's, it's difficult running those platforms. I think we probably all, um, don't appreciate how hard they are to run and the, the glitches and everything that can happen with them. Anyway, so just by way of revision so that somebody's here and they're not going to be lost, I'll just, we're gonna, what, what's key? So last week we were dealing with keys of the kingdom. Think very, very simply. What's a key? What's a key? What, what does a key do? It lets certain people in and keeps certain people out. If you've got the keys to your house, you can get in. If you don't have the keys to your house, you can't get it. If you lose your keys, that's a problem. So keys are, keys are almost, they've always been seen as a symbol of power. And these are keys of the kingdom. They let some people in where their sin has been, their guilt has been loosed. And they bar other people whose sin has been bound. Now, and this all has to be with authority that has been delegated from Christ. Christ is the one with the keys, the key of David. He is the one who opens and no one can shut and shuts and no one can open. So this authority must be in conformity with that. And any 
legitimate exercise of the keys has to be delegated. It has been dele delegated by Christ. It, ultimately, he is the one with the keys. But he, he has given it to, as we saw last week, Peter, um, Matthew 16, 18. And, you know, is he given to them in his capacity as a minister of the gospel, as a preacher? Is he given it in his capacity of just, you know, the way Rome would see it as he is um, the first, he's the one with all the authority, all that kind of stuff. And we look to that and then that is not possible given many, many different ways we looked at that last week. Or is he given it by virtue of, yeah, he's just a believer. And all believers are given the keys in some sense, shape or form. Which would be more the congregationalist, independent way of looking at things. Now, you might be saying, I've never really thought about it like that. But I think that's the problem. And it's not, I'm not trying to pick on independents or Baptists or any groups here. Us Presbyterians barely know this ourselves. So the church at large, this, this topic of the keys of the kingdom and what they meant and who they were given to and how they were to be exercised in regards to preaching, in regards to church discipline, in regards to the makeup of church government, that was debated massively in the 17th century. And it's one of the reasons why it was one of the major issues. I want to say it's the only major, but it, it was a major issue during the Westminster Assembly during the 1640s when the English Civil War was taking place and everything else. You obviously have the Scots who were involved. Some of the Covenanters came down to be part of the Assembly at various points. And they were Presbyterian through and through. And the their, their southern brethren in England, not as much. There were a lot of them with Presbyterian convictions, don't get me wrong, but there was a wide divergence of opinion. Now, praise God, especially from my point of view, that the Presbyterians won, and that, that is the view espoused in Westminster uh, standards, standards that I would hold to. So, okay, the keys of the kingdom, they open and they shut, they have, they delegate, they're delegated by Christ, and we looked at Peter, and then we looked at, the example of Matthew 18 last week of kind of um, church discipline, beginning with if, if somebody sins against you privately, you rebuke them. And if they, they repent, I suppose, you know, gently, if, if, if it warrants that and it should start off gently and then get more and more as there is more stubbornness, shall we say, and more knowledge, then wisdom is needed and all that. But at the same time, it goes from, the principle goes from pro private to more and more public, all the way down to tell the church. Um, and then where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, uh, was a Matthew 18, 20. So that general principle will go from private to public. But that verse is not saying that everybody in the church has the keys, exercises the keys, Okay. Who would have held that view during um, the 17th century? John Cotton. He was over in, was he over in Massachusetts at that time? I can't remember exactly. Well, what's known as the East Coast of the United States now today? It wasn't known as that back then. But um, he would have espoused that view, had, a, had an influence on men like John Owen. So this was not a non-view. I don't even think we think about this anymore with regards to the keys. And I think we're, on a practical level, we're missing out on so much. It's not just a debate with Roman Catholicism. And it's not even just about, hey, you're Presbyterian, you're Congregationalist. Uh, we can figure all that stuff out. We can be right in our church government and we can miss so many blessings from understanding the keys. And it's, I think, if we just think this is only an issue about, well, uh, you believe just the elders should rule, and it, there's more than that. And there's more in terms of blessings. And it's for the benefit and edification of the church, especially that it is understood in that way. Now, let us... Um, so today, right, we're going on to Acts 15. The keys 
of synods and councils, what authority do they have? Let's think about it, okay? You have elders from various different congregations getting together, as you had in Acts 15, and there's a problem which affects the wider church. This is what happened in Acts 15. Acts 15 starts off with saying, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others with them should go up to Jerusalem. So, not to read through all of it, because there's a lot of text there, but there's an issue which affects not just the local body, but affects the essentially the entire body. This issue with regard to the these Pharisees who were converted at this time of transition between the old and the new covenant, which is what the book of Acts was, they were dealing with issues of, well, do we do this? Is that still carried on? Great degree of confusion. And what happens here is they're just apostolic authority. Paul writes a letter. That happened a lot of the time. But what happened in, this is also called the Council of Jerusalem. They went up to Jerusalem. And you have apostles and elders coming together. Now, this, the, the term keys is not in any way used in this chapter. It's not used in any way in Acts 16 either. Okay? But the principle is there. The exercise of the authority of the keys with regards to decrees with regards to the authority delegated by Christ is delegated to that body of elders. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but the question before us, when we get to Acts 15, right? Is it advice? Yes, it's the word of God. Yes, it, 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 we should obey the word of God, but it carries no more authority then, not trying to be facetious here, but just say a 10-year-old brought you a scripture and that scripture is true. But that 10-year-old doesn't carry any authority. But when the elders come together in a constituted court of, of the Church of Jesus Christ, are they just there to advise you and say, hey, that's what the Word of God says and that's the authority that they have no different to any other member of the church. Or is it an authority in and of itself? Now, that authority must be consistent and in accordance with heaven, the court of heaven. Otherwise, it, it's illegitimate and it's not biblical. But it has an authority of itself. I suppose you put it like this. We are guilty if we break the law of God, no matter what we're, no matter what circumstance, if we break a law of God. But if you are sitting in a pew and someone preaches against that particular sin, if you preach against that particular sin, you hear and, and you're convicted about it. It doesn't, change anything. It doesn't add extra rules. It can't. But you are even more guilty if you don't repent. Okay? So, um, yeah, okay. So, very good. Um, again, if anybody's on the chat, feel free to message and say hi or whatever. Um, um, Appreciate all the comments and stuff like that. Uh, some and if there's any problems technically, please let me know. That would be wonderful. Um, sometimes that does happen during the program and you're just talking to yourself and it just happens like that. <laughs> anyway, so, so there's major issues here. There's major issues with regard to how we look at this. And there's brothers I have huge amount of respect for disagree with in this area but they'll come to it and, well, that's more advice. That 
it's not all the elders of the church and things like that. But I've very rarely, if ever really, today seen it dealt with from the, the point of view of the keys and that authority. Because it includes church government, but it's more than that. And the blessing that it brings. Okay, so let's get into... What's at stake? And let's think about let's think about a current context. Application. The authority that the church has, the, the authority that also me as a Presbyterian and other people as Presbyterians, the authority that has been given. And we'll talk about the level of that authority later, but the authority that's been given to higher courts. And what we mean by higher courts is you have a, a, a group of elders in your local in your local congregation. They're the ones who you are under in your local congregation. But then you've got the wider body. We would call it a presbytery. But the name is, I won't say irrelevant, but the whole principle is it's a wider body of elders. And it's a higher court really to deal with issues that if it's either too difficult to deal with locally or it has an some bit of implication beyond the local church and sin it above that. So, and those courts are there, let's think about it, to keep the church together. And I say that in regards to COVID and all that kind of stuff because obviously there's lots of different opinions. I have my own. I lean towards, let's just get back to normal as quickly as possible. But there are godly people who are a bit more cautious, who we should be patient with. Um, I think we've got to be careful that we don't lord it over other people who don't feel the same way as us or whatever. We've got to center around what's important. And the other things in the background, have your opinions, share them, back it up, hold to it, discuss Excellent, excellent, excellent. But don't split over it. Do not split over it. And I think if you have a good understanding of the keys, you'll just kind of go, I'm, I'm arguing for a healthy view of church authority. Not a church authority which is tyrannical. It's a difficult balance. And it's not easy. Back in the 17th century, there was a there was a movement called Brownism, and Brownism was very much schismatic, div divisive, not really, not really wanting any oversight or authority and things like that. Um, Congregations of the day kind of wanted to avoid being umbrellaed under that term. But what do we have today? I'm not talking about people who don't share my convictions. I get it. Say you're you're listening to this, you're you're a convinced Baptist. I get what you are independent, because you're convinced that that's what the scriptures teaches. Okay? Or congregationalist or whatever. You believe that that's what the scriptures teaches. I can respect that. Or you're in a conservative, and I emphasize conservative church, of England church, some of them exist. You know, you believe that that's what the Word of God teaches. I hope that that's why you're there. Okay, you believe that that's what the, what the Word of God teaches. But what I'm talking about here, we have, you know, Westminster believing, I'm Presbyterian, but the least bit of trouble, and they're split, Schism, independent churches formed, new denominations, etc. and so on. And most of the time, 99% of the time, everything is not exhausted in terms of appeal and everything else. And it, everything has become so broken in the church. Far more so now with COVID. It's getting worse. I mean, it's like, been like this for a long time now. But I think as people who are concerned about the visible unity of the church which if you're convinced of the Presbyterian position of the Westminster standards, that should 
burden us and grieve us all. The church has been split into smithereens. How many denominations are there in every single country? Now, there's not the ridiculous number of 33,000 banded around by Roman Catholic apologists, but let's not have the first church of COVID after <laughs> this whole mess. As much as I think people have turned, certain people have turned, not everybody, but certain people have turned personal safety into an idol. They're afraid to leave their house. But just, that's always going to be the way. In any period of church history, there's always going to be people who are more cautious, no matter what issue it is. And all you can do is encourage people in the right direction. But if you're cutting people off and not being patient, it's been months. Months. I don't think it's right for churches to shut down or anything else like that, but we should be patient as much as possible. Your church doesn't meet and you're really annoyed. Well, attend another congregation until your own church starts meeting again. There's ways around it. Splitting isn't the first way to go, but it's our first port of call every single time. And it causes division and disunity. And I think it is because of we have a weak or deficient or non-existent view of the, the keys, view of the authority delegated by Christ, not by me, not by my opinion, but by Christ himself. Christ himself has given us authority for a reason, for the church. He's given these keys, powerful keys. Again, yes, it must be in accord with the court of heaven, but it is mighty authority all the same. We need to and there's two extremes. we got to avoid both of them as ferociously as each other because neither of them are good. Anarchy on one side where there are ministers or congregations, they just don't want oversight. Again, I know that there are people who have convictions that this is what the Word of God teaches. But even within those circles who be independent and all this kind of stuff, they have some degree of oversight. They have some degree of a pool of churches that they stay close to in prayer meetings and they're listening to counsel and stuff like that. One great example I can think of who seemed to have done that, having read through um, his pastoral theology books, is Al Martin. At least going from what he wrote, I don't, I don't know Al Martin personally or anything like that, but he would always seek out counsel and self-examination and stuff like that. If you were a... If you are a mini pope, that's not good either. If you're a mini pope in your own congregation, as small as it may be, you could be a mini tyrant there too. So this anarchy can create its own tyranny, maybe on a smaller scale. And then you've got the other extreme, which is the tyranny of very much top-down Believing that the authority of the church, be it a papal or Episcopalian or whatever else, that heaven almost follows that. That they they bind something, therefore heaven is already bounded because of that or, you know. And that's tyrannical. It's not in accord with the word of God. And I use tyranny in terms of, not even in terms of secular freedoms or anything like that. I'm talking about the freedom to follow Christ and the freedom according to his law. The freedom that that brings. If we get some biblical balanced middle ground of elder rule, plurality of elders and stuff like that, fulfilling the priestly prayer of Christ when John in John 17, 21, when he says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. We believe in the same Christ. We should want to be one. I'm not saying we sacrifice the truth. No. But we... We strive to be one, not abandoning each other or anything else like that. So in Acts 15, they're dealing with an issue that strikes at the very heart of the gospel. Whether they need to follow after the custom or the law of Moses. Moses. 
wisdom's needed to know when that should happen. But if it touches upon the gospel, if it touches upon the wider church, that's when it should happen. Now, let's think about this question, right? As we're going through this, does this council have the authority to censure? Does it carry the authority if they, if they during this council excommunicated somebody, do they have that authority to do that under the, the power of the keys? Or is it just getting together for an exchange of ideas, but they're doing nothing but giving advice? Cotton's view and the view of the independence, and I still think it's a view that is probably pretty prominent today with, with regards to fears of Presbyterian church government, is that it removes the liberty of local assemblies. You shouldn't do that. Now, any type of biblical anything, doctrine or whatever, can be abused any doctrine. Um, the, the, you know, we don't abandon the Lord's Supper because Roman Catholicism turns it into a blasphemous ceremony. Or believes in baptism and regeneration. We don't abandon that because of that. We need to be thinking in terms of what is the biblical teaching on this. Cotton's view, John Cotton, the 17th century Congregationalist, a man I kind of focused on in, in, in my paper on this, um, saw that the, the power of these elders to come together in the wider church, now this is the wider church, that was mainly there to, quote, encourage and strengthen the hearts and hands of one another in the Lord's work. That's what it was. It was there just to encourage and strengthen, kind of like getting together for a conference. And... And that attitude will trickle down into your local assembly too, in your local congregation. What the, what the elders say to you, in I'm talking about in, not in terms of advice. Sometimes an elder can give you advice and you pray about it. But I'm talking in terms of the, your elders have come together and you've, they've made a decision or there's preaching from the pulpit or, you know, Peter exercised the keys in Acts chapter 2 they have exercised the keys in terms of excommunication or something like that. That is trickled down into their church where in terms of excommunication, it's just take, it's a take it or leave it. And if you d disagree with the decision, you're like, well, you just toss it aside and ignore it. And that's sadly happened a lot in church discipline cases. Church discipline can't really exist in an independent church. Why do I say that? You might be excommunicated from one body, but you can just walk down the road and go somewhere else. And again, the keys are not given to every single member of the congregation. It is not popular vote. It boggles my mind, that idea, that someone who is possibly saved a month, maybe just become a member or however long they've been a member, has the same voting rights to decide as an elder who's been there. It just makes no sense, practically. But the keys have not been given to every member of the church. But there's a, again, there's that fear of the removal of liberty But let me put it like this. I'm just going to quote from my paper here just on this and how discipline dies if you have the idea that the keys belong to everybody or you've got independency and there's no wider authority. Discipline dies very, very quickly. Uh, take away that power from elders or synods or water down such power and you potentially weaken decrees of church discipline. In doing so, you also weaken the church as she is less able to deal with error and those wandering into error. 
The ministers of the gospel lose a sense of the importance of what it means to minister to the sheep in granting access to the sacraments. In preaching the gospel faithfully and in calling people to repent in church discipline. Now, let's think about this for a second. Granting access to the sacraments. Why should the minister, an ordained minister, with the authority of the church, only administer the sacraments? Because that's, that's granting access to the kingdom of God. Opening and closing. That's not just to be done by some conference speaker. And you'll go to places where that's done. An ordained minister with the authority of the church. And there should be, you know, the, the, it should be in the name of the, the, the body of elders. It's not just minister by himself. It's with the authority of the church because... You know, you look at the Great Commission and the end of Matthew 28, going into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All nations, baptizing all nations. But you're adding to the church. The visible church now, not the invisible church. We can't regenerate anybody at all. But you take away, if you take away the keys given to elders, then you take away the idea of discipline, you take away the idea of what, it just all falls apart. And you see it. I'm not saying Presbyterian churches are perfect and all that. And I think a lot of the problems, a lot of the problems that we even experience in our own congregation, I'm not saying all the time. They're sinners. But I think a lot of the problems in the pew or in the eldership is affected by our view of the keys. Now, when we come to Acts 15, just want to state a word of caution. We don't try to prove too much. Um, the it, It's tempting to kind of go, you know, say you're you agree with me in Presbyterianism, and you want to go, hey, here is, here's a synod, Acts 15. Look, here's a synod right there. Here's a general assembly. Here's a presbytery, and they're like different layers of courts. You can't show that in its minutiae detail and the different layers, call it a cake, if you will. We can't tell whether you should have four layers, five layers. We can only tell that there's a general principle, there, there's a wider authority beyond the local assembly. That's it. Anything else is determined by the light of nature and wisdom and, you know, the, the size of the denomination, the size of the country. Um, you know, in, in the United States, I'm not exactly sure, is it Presbyterian Church will have a, a session and then you'll have a presbytery and then you have a synod and maybe a general assembly beyond that nationally, perhaps. The, the names are, I won't say irrelevant, but it's all about wider authority. And, and it's about the bigger issues that will affect the wider body. And we've got to be, when we get into Acts 15, yes, you can prove an authority. And you can agree with some of, and I agree with, obviously, a lot of the 17th century Presbyterian like George Gillespie and all, the conclusions they came to, but not always, always the way they exegeted it and not always the way that they maybe explained it. We have to be just, we have to think about these things. There can be a temptation in the midst of battle, shall we say, um, to want to get proof texts that will prove our point when they don't. They don't you, we're kind of reading in more than is necessary. We don't need to do that. Especially if... You know, the truth is on our side. Anyway, just by way of... I kind of want to urge against the temptation to find a synod and a presbytery in there all at the same time. Um, so, this is a quote from a very good book that I really enjoyed reading. I read a few months ago. Um, 
WDJ Mackay, who's actually my systematic theology professor, uh, at least he was until I finished college. Um, Dave Mackay wrote a book called The Ecclesiastical Republic. Let's see if I can get the title in front of me here. Um, where is it? There? Oh, yeah. An Ecclesiastical Republic, Church Government in the Writings of George Gillespie. It was published back in 1997 by Rutherford House. Very good book. Uh, but it's hard to find, and uh, I think it's quite hard to get at a cheap price. If you can get it for under 30 secondhand, well worth reading. Well worth reading. Sometimes it can be about 60 quid. So uh, it is a very good book. So I digress. If you can get it at a good price, I would pick up a copy. Um, he writes this on Acts 15. At least two le levels of ecclesiastical authority are evident. If the church at Antioch was made up of a number of congregations, another level is possible. That principle is sufficient to provide the basic pattern for Presbyterian ecclesiastical polity. Again, it's a, it's a pattern. You're not going to find everything in there, but you're just going to find the pattern of at least two layers, maybe more. Um, our sister denomination in Scotland has two layers. You know, I think they have about six congregations and, you know, they, they, they have their local assembly, they have a local session and then they have the presbytery above that. It depends on the size of the denomination. Um, wisdom really should guide you in that. If you've got 20 congregations, you might have, perhaps, if they're close to each other, two presbyteries, you know, they're close to each other. And then every once a year, you come together for a synod between the two. And, you know, you can kind of work out the rest by yourself. Again, again, it's not going into that minutia, but there is a general principle of this. Now, think about, I think to think about in Acts 15, the apostles and the elders were going there. In what capacity? Oh, greetings, Benjamin. I just saw you're, you're on the chat there. Uh, say hi if anybody's in the, in the chat. And uh, feel free to ask questions. I may have missed something in this and apologies if I have. If you've got any questions, please ask away and I will do my best by God's grace. Now, the apostles and the elders, they're coming together to the Council of Jerusalem. What capacity were they, were they there? Now, there's no indication. Yes, the, the, the apostles had their own authority, but there's no indication at this council that they had any authority above that of an elder. If you go to First uh, Peter chapter five verse one, um, Peter calls himself a fellow elder. The, the debate, they there's no indication that one is above another or anything else like that. The elders are involved; they all vote. And then at the end of this whole process of the Council of Jerusalem, verse twenty eight of Acts fifteen, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. There's divine authority. That the Spirit of God is directing that. It's, it'd be wrong to do it otherwise. Um, you have authority and direction in the, the decrees mentioned. Acts 16.4 says, and they went out through the cities, they delivered. Now this is once... The, the decisions were made at the council. The decrees were settled upon together. The body of elders were there at the council of Jerusalem. And then in Acts 16, 4 says this, and they went through the cities. They delivered to them the decrees to keep. Not the suggestions to keep, not the, the advice, which were determined by the apostles and the elders, not just by the apostles. If it was apostles over them, well, just say by the apostles. No, it was determined by the apostles and the apostle. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, 1528. Again, this is the exercise. This is what the keys look like. One of the, one of the functions of the keys in terms of their authority in terms of their authority. W.D.J. Mackay says this in his book, uh, Ecclesiastical Republic, which I mentioned earlier, this letter from the council is also more than advice to the churches. A statement such as, 
it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us is undoubtedly a claim to authority and divine guidance. This is reinforced by reference to laying a burden on on the churches, not the language of advice and counsel. The decision is communicated by an official, which includes men from Jerusalem, and this further indicates its authoritative nature. Just read that last one again. The decision is communicated by an official, which includes men from Jerusalem, and this further indicates its authoritative nature. So, welcome Isabella as well, and there's a, I didn't, I don't know if I said hi to Ben yet, um, discussion about justification, yeah, maybe, uh, if anybody's interested in, email me, miguelfilms at gmail.com, if anybody wants to contact me about interviews or whatever else like that, I might be kind of, not sure if I can do much over the summer, especially, I'm, my current situation is I am doing a placement. I could be licensed, Lord willing, by the end of the summer. So it's going to be one of those times where uh, a lot of changes and I'm going to be going on other people's schedules and especially with COVID going on and all that kind of thing. But um, feel free to email me at miguelofilms at gmail.com. We'll see if we can work something out. Now, um, let's get on to the question of liberty because we, we do want to and we do sympathize with our brothers who would not want to go down the route of tyranny. And we understand, by the way, I'm not saying that their fears are silly or anything. Like, I'm sure some people usually go through hard, horrible experience in churches and that shapes them. And in the 17th century, they saw what the Church of England did at times. And they saw what the Roman Church did. They wanted to avoid that tyranny, but they kind of went you could say overcorrected. And when you just become reactionary, you come up with your own errors. Look, we all do it. I've done it. Um, but, uh, we, we thank God for many of the men who went over to the new world as it was at the time. There's some good preachers over there. Um, but I just think that this was a weak area on their part. He, John Cotton, in the 17th century, in his book, just try and remember the exact title of the book in case anybody wants to check out these quotes. Um, John Cotton, the keys of the kingdom of heaven and power thereof according to the word of God. So, and that was originally published, this pub, publisher published in 2018, but that was originally published in the 1640s at some stage. Again, it there was tons and tons of things published in the 1640s. And I have not read a tenth of what came out. Um, I, I think you spend the rest of your life reading everything that came out in the 1640s and you still probably be at the bottom of the foothill <laughs> trying to get your head around. A lot, a lot was written at that time. But he, John Cotton appealed to Galatians 5.13, which reads, For you, brethren, have me called to liberty... Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And he used that in regards to the, the liberty of the local congregation, not to be brought into liberty. Um, Cotton made this comment, The gospel alloweth no church authority or rule proper so-called to the brethren, but reserveth that holy to the elders, yet preventeth the tyranny and oligarchy and exorbitancy of the elders by the large and firm establishment of the liberties of the brethren, which ariseth to a power of them. Now, he no doubt saw Presbyterianism as a form of kind of tyranny which infringed upon these rights. Um, the problem is texts like Galatians 5.13, which he referenced, was t speaking of the, the freedom from the tyranny of trying to be good enough for the law or of keeping kind of bondage of of keeping the old ceremonial law. We should not, and how we should not use it as an excuse of the flesh. It doesn't tie in with his argument really at all. David Dixon, a 17th century um, Westminster divine, said this on um, this issue when, when it comes to independency and exercise of the keys and all this kind of stuff. This democracy, he said, or popular government cannot be, but bring in great confusion. 
whence many absurdities will follow, as the church of God should not be an organical body. That woman who, that women, sorry, are forbidden to speak in the church must have the keys of the kingdom hanging in their belt. Forsooth, all must govern, and none must be governed. That's really the implication of the independent view. All must govern, and none must govern. All must attend the government of the church. All must be rendered incapable for going about their practical call, particular callings, which God calls them to every day. Therefore, seeing this sort of government brings so much confusion with it, it is probable that it is not of God, who is a God of order and not of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33, that, that quotation is found from the book David Dixon, uh, you can get from Banner of Truth, Truth's Victory Over Error, I think it's called, and it's his commentary on the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith. Okay. Um, okay, let's, let's, okay. Let's kind of put aside all the polemical stuff. Let's let's get down to practical stuff. Why should I care? <laughs> you know, let's face it. You kind of come away from that and go, that's interesting. I, I'll think about that. And we kind of don't really think about often how it impacts how we live, how it impacts our churches, how it impacts our, our spiritual walk. I want you to think, of, just to send you away with a few things to think about here. In the preaching of the word of God, because of the keys, there is an authority. It's not just like any other teaching. It's not just like, this is not preaching with the authority of the church behind me. It's not. It's me. I hope it'll bless you. I hope it'll help you. But it's not the same as the preaching of the word of God from the pulpit, from the authority given to the church. It's just not the same. And the problem is we've so watered it down. We, we treat um, what we get online in the same bracket. Intellectually, it'll stimulate you a bit and it may bless you somewhat in the heart, but it's just simply not the same thing. Preach of the word of God, um, there is an authority. It has its own authority. It is delegated by Christ. Now, it's not the men. The preachers are but jars of clay, earthen vessels, as some older translations will render it. Um, the authority is given to that jar of clay by Christ. And if we think about that, the authority that the Word of God has, the exercise of the keys, that authority from Christ, would it not make us sit up and listen when we, we come into church? Are we ready to hear from God himself? Rather than the, this, here's a teaching about the Bible, there's just like, let's just, no, it is God speaking. It's God speaking. It carries itself authority. Preaching must be with authority. Otherwise, it's, it's simply not preaching. Coming to church and an expectation, not just to, hey, you know, to get information into our brains, but an expectation to hear from God himself. It's very, very different. Um, how about the preacher when he prepares for preaching? Not just for the person, the pew, also for the preacher himself, that he's exercising those keys, that authority. And it should make him work harder, laboring on his knees and depending more upon God and working harder in a study, etc. and so on, because of the great and mighty responsibility that it is. Peter exercised the keys, you know, in... In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if they repented, the kingdom of God is open unto them. If they didn't repent, if they were hardened in their sin, 
and in the rebellion, the kingdom of God is shut to them. They are still in their sin, and what, what has been bound in heaven is bound on earth. Preaching is powerful. True preaching is powerful. It must be in accordance with the word of God for this to be true. And that's why it is... True preaching is with power and it is with authority and it is... That's why without prayer, it, without the power of God upon it, it can do nothing. And that's partially our problem today. Some preaching is very intellectually stimulating, but it's not very powerful and it's... It's more of a lecture. And some preaching is very much all about emotions and very little to do with the text itself. What is our, our attitude to church discipline? Something like excommunication. Not a fun topic, of course. And I use this example because it's the most obvious that's not the only part of church discipline. Church discipline can simply be, you know, you say to another brother, gently, especially if they're godly, you know, they in an area they're wandering to whatever, and you say to them gently, brother, I'm not sure you should be doing that. Or and it might go no further. And that's that's church discipline. Iron sharpens iron. People have gone to me about stuff like that. Maybe I didn't immediately repent, but had they not said something to me, maybe I'd still be wandering and or gone in that direction even further. Sometimes it's necessary to go further in that whole process. But then when you get to something that should take a long time to get to, when you've exhausted all of the possibilities... Somebody just will not repent. So, for example, somebody's living with their partner out of wedlock or or committed adultery and is continuing on an adulterous relationship and will not repent of it. You've gone to them. You've Some people do repent, praise God, and they're restored. But some people don't, and they'll continue on and on and on, and eventually they're cut off. But, and there's other issues as well, but that's just a more clear-cut one. Is the exercise of the keys from a council of ordained elders respected in the church today? Is are these decrees respected? Do we do what the Bible says and treat them as a heathen and a publican? Um probably not much. There's a great degree of disrespect for authority and a church council or elders or whatever make their decision. And then you go, you know what? I'm going to examine the facts. I'll see if I agree with them. You, you don't see the authority of the keys in that case. Now, the only time, you, and they're very rare. You know, examples like this, if they're in sound churches, are like hen's teeth, really. But the only time, really, perhaps you go against this, if somebody gets in trouble for preaching the gospel or standing on the truth or whatever, and they get, you know, booted out of church because of they've hold an orthodox doctrine or something like that. If that's the only reason, okay then. But that rarely happens. I'm not saying it never happens. You'd want really strong reason to go against. Because, let's think about it, you're going against Christ in those cases. It's not mere advice, it's a decree. It's a command. Now again, they are accountable to the throne room of heaven, but and it is delegated by Christ, but it is an authority. The keys are there to minister to God's people. The keys are there to minister and build up God's people. The key, uh, discipline and everything else, are there to to feed, feed my sheep. You know, uh, P Peter's told over and over again, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Over and over again. 
it's vitally important. And we don't really see it as an exercise. Just one little thing before we finish off here. John 20 verses let's see here we go there. John 20 verses 9 verses 21 onwards. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I send to you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's that's the exercise of the keys. I hope this has been a blessing, and I, I hope it will strengthen your relationship with your local church and with the wider body of Christ. It's been Paul Flynn. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you again soon.